Hey y'all, and welcome to Least of These. I'm your host, Leah D. I'm taking time off this week to spend some time with the family, but thankfully our friends at Killer Queens have gifted us an episode just in time for Christmas. Killer Queens is a true crime podcast hosted by sisters Torella and Tori. These girls are hilarious, smart, sassy, and Southern, and I know you'll love them just as much as I do. So without further ado, let's join in as Torella and Tori tell us the story of Jalea Davis. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you hey guys. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yikes. <laughs> we never do that. No, we don't. I thought today would be the day that I would start it. I don't know yeah. why. We didn't talk about that, though. You didn't no. tell me. No, I did not. Now we both look like cue holes. <laughs> I thought I would get you with the element of surprise, and it didn't go well. No, it didn't. Sure didn't. Yeah. My apologies, but hey, dudes. Yeah. Sorry, dudes. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us. We've got a, I don't even know how many times we've said this. Yeah, we got a doozy for you, man. This case, you want to talk about throwing your shit out the window? Yep. Get it prepared. If you could throw your window out the window somehow. Throw your whole house right out of the window. Yeah. Yeet it right out of there. Yes. Gone. It's so frustrating. Need it anyway. Yeah. Nope. Should we talk about some business before we start this, though? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. We have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And we have hundreds. What was the count? It was like 500 episodes. Yeah. There's something crazy. Like, yeah, there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes on the Patreon ready for you to download and binge right this very second. Because you get access to all of them, depending on your tier level. Sure. Of course. But $10 will get you all that. Yep. And it's ad-free. All of it's Mm ad-free. And if that is not enough, Mm -hmm. or you don't want to do that, but you want to do something different, we have a live show on Spotify Green Room on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central. Mm -hmm. And it is part of a true crime lineup. And so we are right there in the middle. We got we're sandwiched in there with some true crime. So yeah, all true crime Tuesday night, man. Come check it out. If you do want to join the show, it's called True Crime Rewind. So if you search that in Spotify Green Room, you will find us. Yep, totally. Cute. All right. So I think we should just go ahead and get to the anger. Yes. Yes. But first, trigger warnings. This case deals with death, drunk driving, underage drinking, gruesome death scene and description, and a car accident. So if any of that is something that you cannot hear, don't want to listen to, whatever, totally fine. And we will catch you on the next episode. Yes. And special thanks to Kayla Marie Dean, Brittany Buell, Taylor Rodriguez, Eugenia V. Hadley, Tessa and Hannah Granger for requesting it. Yes. And thank you to Madison for writing it up. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So I think it's time. Yep. Jalea Rose Davis was born on November 2nd, 1991 in Colorado Springs, Colorado to mother Kimberly Nolan Davis. 18 months after Jalea was born, her mother gave birth to a second daughter named Tabiana, also known as Tabby. Not much is publicized about Jalea's childhood. However, her family said that she was a sweetheart. Jalea was soft-spoken and seemed to make friends very easily. Her family said that Jalea didn't have any enemies. The three Davis girls, Kim, Jalea, and Tabby, were very close. They were a tight-knit family, and Jalea and Tabby were also very close to their grandparents, Kim's parents, who are Roger and Cynthia. Jalea graduated from Marietta High School in Marietta, Ohio in 2009, and she also worked at a local Hollister store with Tabby while she tried to figure out what her next step was. 
while the whole Davis family was close, Jalea and her younger sister, Tavi, were inseparable. Kind of sounds like Terrell and I. Yeah, and they were 18 months apart, too, which is exactly what we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were like little BFFs. It was so sweet. I know. It's a built-in best friend. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. They described each other as their best friends, and Jalea was very protective of Tavi. The two often hung out with each other and confided in one another. Tavi said that she recalled her sister having dreams of being a cosmetologist. Jalea and Tavi loved spending time at the pool. Her mother said that Tavi always wanted to lay out, and Jalea loved being in the water. Jalea would always tell her that they needed their own pool in the backyard so she could be the Little Mermaid. <laughs> so sweet. As a joke, Jalea's grandmother once bought her a child's inflatable pool for the backyard. And when the girls were little, they'd fight like most sisters, and Kim would tell them to make up. Jalea never wanted to, but in the end, the girls would always end up back as best friends. <laughs> she started it. Exactly. But I mean, that's the thing about sisters. You can be at each other's throats and you're like, I'm going to kill you. And then you're like, oh, can I borrow that top you were yesterday? Yeah, exactly. Or the I'm going to kill you comes from because I caught you in the top that I told you not to wear. Yes. There are rules to borrowing tops from sisters. You cannot wear it first. And if the tags are still on it, that is off limits. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. And um, white cardigans. (sighs) are pretty much a no-go because you're going to spill something on them. Not me. Nope, not you. You actually didn't. Even all the blood rushing from my nose when I broke it on my GD car door. Yeah, I finally told Tori she could borrow my white car and I was like, and don't get anything on it. And then she broke her nose (laughs) getting in the car. But I came in like, you know how buzzards sit on top of billboards with their wings stretched out to dry them and stuff. That's how I walked in. I'm like, my head's hanging. And I'm just like, don't get any blood on it. I was so worried. Terrell was like, throw your head back. And I was like, bet your card again. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm not a monster. You need to throw your head back. No, because I would have never heard the end of that. Remember when you bled all over my cardigan? That's not true. It was American Eagle though. And that was a nice cardigan. Yeah, it was. was. Spent all my money on it. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. On Friday, November 18th, 2011, Jalea left her home in Marietta between 3 and 4 p.m. to meet a friend, Kristen Bechtold, I think is how you would say that. Jalea drove to Kristen's house so they could get ready together for a night out. After getting dressed and doing their makeup, they headed to another friend's home. They met up with several other friends, and finally, the two girls, along with three others, headed to a nearby bar and pool hall in Parkersburg called the Nip and Q. Hmm. Is Nip a pool term? I know Q is. Yeah. Is Nip like getting a nip of the bottle kind of thing? or? Because, hmm. I mean, obviously I'm thinking like nips. Seems inappropriate. <laughs> I didn't go there at all, surprisingly. Really? Yeah. My mind immediately oh. went to like, because... Isn't that a term? Like, don't people say like, oh, get like, get a nip of that bottle. Nip it. I've heard like nip it in the bud. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems. Um, it's an interesting name. If your mind's in the gutter, it seems inappropriate. Sure. And that's it's not called is. nips and cues. No. Hips and nips. Otherwise, I'm not eating. Yeah. Jalea didn't know the others, but she appeared to be enjoying herself anyway. Earlier in the evening, Julia was texting with her mother and Toby, and everything seemed normal. Kim said that her last text to her daughter was around 9 to 9.30 p.m., and she told her to be good and that she loved her. At 3.28 a.m., Toby received a call on her cell phone from her sister. Julia asked her to pick her up at a gas station. Toby was with a friend and said they'd come pick her up, and Toby could hear her sister asking Kristen to give her her keys, and she could hear Kristen's voice in the background. At 3.33 a.m., Jalea called Toby back again and sounded angry and upset. And she ends up asking Toby to meet her at a different location, a rest stop along the highway that was a little bit closer to home. And Toby was asking her, like, what is wrong? What's going on? And Jalea just told her that she'd tell her when she got there. She was calling Kristen names and saying that she was a bad friend. And Jalea indicated that she was on the interstate at this time. Toppy was about a 10-minute drive from the rest stop, and Jalea was begging her sister to hurry, screaming about how Kristen was terrible. And Toby was like, 
I'll be there soon. Like I'm on the way, you know, I'll be there as soon as I can. As Toby and her friend headed down I-77, they came around a corner to see several cops blocking the road. So they pull over and a police officer told them that a woman's body had been found on the highway. They would only tell her that it was an African-American female wearing a white pea coat, and Toby knew it was Jalea. She called her mother and the rest of the family, who all quickly arrived on scene near mile marker 181. The police confirmed with the family that the body found on the interstate was Jalea. She had been decapitated, and pieces of her body were scattered across the lanes of the highway. Goodness gracious. Oh, man. Her vehicle was nearby, and there was a small mound under a white sheet that the police said was most of Julia's remains. And, I mean, the family is in shock. Like, you know, she had just been talking to her sister on the phone, and and she was like, you know, I'm less than a 10-minute drive to come get you. What could have happened in such a short period of time that led to her sister being like, she's been decapitated. Yes. This is insane. There are also pieces of her body scattered. Yeah. How did this happen? How did this happen? So as the Davis family tried to process what had just happened, more details emerged about Jalea in the scene of the accident, quote unquote. A truck driver had been the initial caller from the scene. His name or his call came into dispatch at 348 a.m. He told dispatchers that he saw what he believed to be a dead human body in the road. He stayed on scene waiting for the police. Other passersby stopped and tried to help stop traffic. And we will come back to the phone calls from uh, to police. But the sheriff's department arrived soon after and blocked traffic completely. Jalea's four-door sedan was found about a quarter mile from her body, abandoned and idling, and the keys were still in the ignition and the car was still in gear. The doors were locked and the headlights were on. There didn't appear to be any other cars involved. Jalea in addition to being decapitated, had one of her legs broken in half and her right breast was missing. Oh my gosh. She was completely nude from the waist up, still wearing her underwear and jeans. Her clothes were not near her body. They were stacked neatly on the guardrail. Her bra, shirt, then peacoat on top in this specific order. The truck driver who first called in to report a body said that he didn't touch her clothing and didn't go near her car. Toby called several times or called Kristen several times as she sat on the interstate waiting for the rest of her family to arrive. The calls were somehow disconnected. After the family left the scene on the highway and after the police had cleared out, Jalea's grandfather returned to take photos. Mm. He meticulously inspected everything he could in the area where Jalea and her car were found. And he even found a shoe print in the gravel. And the police did not find that. Nope. No. I mean, he... Is such a little precious baby. Oh, Roger. Yes. He's just an angel. The following day, the sheriff's department wanted to question everyone who had been with Jalea that night. They were unable to locate Kristen Bechtold. Finally, her father answered the door at her home and said that Kristen didn't feel like talking and that she would be obtaining an attorney. Within 12 hours of Jalea being found dead, Kristen had hired an attorney and she was the only one involved in the case who obtained representation so quickly. The Davis family was immediately concerned at learning this. They didn't understand why Kristen wouldn't want to help and why she would be so quick to hire a lawyer if she didn't have anything to hide. Kristen finally gave her statement to the uh, sheriff's department three days later. She told them that Jalea had been extremely intoxicated and that after they'd driven her back to her car, they'd made her promise to wait for her sister and not to drive herself. Kristen said that that was the last time they'd seen her. Not surprisingly, the Wood County Sheriff's Department called the death suspicious and decided to launch an investigation. Okay, I'm sorry. If your friend is so intoxicated and you bring her back to her car, but you're like, don't drive yourself, okay? Well, and she had been asking and asking and asking and asking for her keys. What do you think she's going to do with those? Exactly. You can't wait for her sister to get there. Yeah, she was like minutes away. Yeah. And we know she had her keys because the they were in the keys ignition. were the ignition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I can't. I know. Yeah. All right. Ignition. Yeah. So you can't wait the 10 minutes. Like. I know. Come on. Because anybody who's been around somebody who is that intoxicated knows that they're not making the best decisions, obviously. Right. And once they get something in their minds, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. 
it's not like they're going to be like, you know what? You're right. I, I should probably wait. It's like your body goes into autopilot, even if you don't remember it. And you're like, why did I do that? Why? Yeah, exactly. I tried to walk like nine miles to a Taco Bell one time when I was drunk. And I would have done it too. Yeah, you. I mean, nothing was stopping you from getting that Taco Bell. I really wanted it. I knew I couldn't drive, but I was like, all right, then I'll fucking walk. Like, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's like, just people do some crazy things when they're, when they're super intoxicated. And yeah, as a friend, I would think that you would know that and maybe want to I I don't know I don't know it's just it makes me sad yeah as the sheriff's department questioned all of the people who'd been with Jalea on the night that she died the Davises felt like there were a lot of inconsistencies once they were released to her I said that word once they were released to her Kim scoured the statements and found many things that left her with even more questions so let's talk about Kristen's statement first so Kristen, remember, was the friend that Jalea was supposed to be spending the night with. She's also the granddaughter of a former Wood County Sheriff. Kristen's account of her night with Jalea began at 7 p.m. She said that Jalea came over to her house around that time. The two made cookies, showered, and got ready for the night. After they were ready, the two headed over to Brian Sapp's house in Parkersburg in Jalea's car. Kristen said they got to Brian's house around 9.30 or 10. She said that there were a few people she didn't know there, along with Brian, Freddie, and Jordan. So Kristen knew Freddie and Brian, but she didn't know Jordan very well. She estimated that she and Jalea were at Brian's for about two hours. Kristen said that she, Jalea, Freddie, and Jordan all left the house probably around 11. And then she says, I think it was 10, like 10, 15, maybe. Mm, Those are very different. Yeah. Like 10, 10, 15, sure. 11 or 10? Yeah, 11 or 10. That's a full hour difference. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. But they left there to pick up her friend, Katie Nelson. They picked her up from a nearby Hardee's on 7th Street. She said that her friend, Freddie Scott, was driving. Before they picked up Katie, they stopped at the North End Market so Freddie could get another bottle of vodka. Later in Kristen's statement, she said she didn't remember which they did first, if they picked up Katie or went to the market. After this, the group of five returned to Brian's house. Both Kristen and Jalea had been taking shots of liquor together prior to leaving to pick Katie up. After the group returned with Katie, Kristen said Jalea continued taking shots. Kristen said that she had stopped drinking and Katie wasn't drinking at all, and she was trying to take the shots away from Jalea because she, quote, realized that she was going to be, like, really drunk, but was unsuccessful. Kristen estimated that Jalea had taken a total of 16 shots at Brian's that night and that she had taken probably 14 or 15. Kristen said that she wasn't really that drunk and didn't think Jalea was that drunk either. She also said that she didn't know who provided the alcohol, that it had just been there when they got there. And it's important to note here that Jalea was a pretty small girl. She weighed about 125 pounds. So taking, And she took 16 shots but was not very drunk. I mean, depending on your tolerance, I would think eight shots would send you over the edge. Two I, shots will get me plastered. Yeah. And even if you're drinking on a regular basis... 16 shots? I feel like... 16 shots is going to make you not be able to stand up. Okay. I know a man who is, gosh, I mean, I think he's like 6'4", 6'5". I don't know how much that makes him weigh because I don't know men's weights and stuff like that. But he's a big, big man. He went to a concert once. He had, I think he said eight rum and Cokes and he doesn't remember the concert. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Eight rum and Cokes. Wow. Eight. Yeah, that's somebody who definitely weighs more than 125 pounds. If he's like a a really like a big dude, he probably weighs double that. I was going to say probably double. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. 16 shots. Yeah, you definitely don't know where you are at that point. I would guess slurred speech if she's talking at all. Probably passed out. Yeah. But then she says she took 15 or, or 14 or 15. But she wasn't drunk. There is no way. There is, there no, is way. no way. Even if you're taking baby shots, it's still eight. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a night where I've taken eight shots. Like, I don't think I have. Well, that might not be true. I know. 
Well, yeah, because there's a certain point at which you're not counting anymore. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, but I really don't think I could do eight shots. That would just be way too much. Well, yeah. And I remember specifically because one night that it, I I'm thinking could have possibly been an eight shot night. I decided to play flip cup with hypnotic. Oh no. Yes. And somebody had got, or I had, you know, drank it, flipped the cup, immediately turned over and puked. Like oh, there was a no. garbage can right there. And I was like, there it is. Like the, I, I could not, my body could not handle it anymore. Yeah. That was not a good decision. No, no. But who's making good decisions when you're 22? That's true. I mean, and drinking hypnotic. Oh God. So Bad decisions abound. <laughs> yeah. Kristen said that at some point, she, Katie, Jalea, and Freddie decided to leave Brian's and head to the Nip and Q. They drove in Freddie's car and left Jalea's car at Brian's. She estimated that they arrived sometime between 12 and 1. When they arrived, Kristen said the girls just hung out outside. Katie's ex-boyfriend, Chris Latimer, there's so many people in the story, was there and Katie still talks to him. And I was realizing that Jalea was pretty drunk because she was like, dancing up on Katie's ex-boyfriend and they were like talking really close and Katie was getting aggravated with the whole thing. I was trying to take Jalea's wristlet while we were still there because I was afraid she was going to lose it and she wouldn't give it to me. And that's a quote from Kristen. Still, Kristen said that Jalea didn't seem overly intoxicated. She just said it though. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's like, well, she wasn't falling over. She wasn't stumbling, like whatever. But then she goes on to say, quote, Katie was like fine with her doing that because she doesn't really like conflict. So she just wasn't trying to fight about it. But she said that Katie was getting aggravated. Yes. She said Katie was getting really aggravated. Jalea is dancing up on some guy. She doesn't know who is her friend's ex-boyfriend. Like talking really close. Yeah. If you're sober, you're not doing that. Right. You know, that's something that you might be doing when you're very intoxicated because you don't realize that, you know, relationship or whatever, like. Yeah. And I mean, maybe getting a little flirty and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little more flirty and all that. Kristen said they left the nip and queue at 3, 10 a.m. Freddie was driving. Kristen was in the passenger seat and Jalea and Katie were in the back. Kristen said they drove back to Brian's house, but they did not go inside. We were sitting there in the car trying to figure out what we were going to do, if we were going to go inside, if we were going to go home. Jalea was talking to, and the name has been redacted, on the phone. And I think she was trying to go hang out with him or whoever he was with, and she couldn't find her wristlet. Kristen said that Jalea was angry about not being able to find her wristlet, and she was blaming it on Kristen. Didn't Kristen just say she was taking it from her? She said she tried to, but Jalea wouldn't let her. Okay, so it sounds like Kristen would be the reason it's gone mm-hmm. if it's gone, but okay. Or that Kristen's fears were realized because Julie actually lost it. That's true because she did say she thought she was going to lose it. She said that they all decided they were going home. We thought that Julia was going to come with us, but she ended up calling her sister and asked her to come pick her up. And she said she needed a ride. When officers asked Kristen if she overheard where Toby was going to get Jalea from, Kristen said she didn't think so. Quote, she went to get out of the car and she said, Toby, I need you to come pick me up and I will explain what is going on when you get here. And remember, this is what Toby said that Jalea told her in the last phone call. It's strange that Kristen would have been hearing this if she wasn't with Jalea because that's the call. That's the last call that she had with her before they drive up and there's a woman's body in the road. But mm-hmm. she, Kristen claims she's not with Jalea at this point anymore. So how did she hear this? But okay. Yeah. Kristen said that she asked Jalea multiple times if she was planning on driving and she said no, that she was waiting for her sister. Kristen said that she wouldn't have left her there if she felt that she was going to drive. The group left Jalea in front of Brian's house around 3.40 a.m. Kristen said that Toby called her around 3.50 a.m. saying that she couldn't find her sister. Kristen said she told her where Jalea was, which was at Brian's, and how to get there. And Kristen tried to call Jalea, but she got no answer. Freddie took Kristen and Katie through the McDonald's drive-thru and back to Kristen's house. Mm. All right, so that's Kristen. 
now we have Freddie. Freddie was uh, a nickname. He, his real name was Frederick Scott. He is the son of a former Parkersburg police officer and detective. Freddie said that he'd first met Julia on the Friday night that she and Kristen had come to Brian Sapp's house. He said that he'd gotten to Brian's house a little after 11 p.m. that night before Kristen and Julia arrived. He also said that he'd driven the girls to pick up Katie, who he knew before that night. Freddie said that in addition to driving the girls to the nip and queue that night, his friend Jordan was also in the car and that they arrived around midnight. Freddie is unclear as to whether he believed Kristen and Julia were drunk when they were or when they arrived at Brian's. Once at the car, Freddie said that the girls went off to do their own things. He said that he saw Julia arguing with a white male sometime that night, but he didn't know who it was. Freddie remembered that they left the bar about five minutes before closing. He was driving and admitted that he was pretty intoxicated himself. He had Julia, Kristen, and Katie in his car. And apparently Jordan at this point has left with somebody, so he's not in the car with them. He said that he drove the group to Brian's where Julia was the only one who got out. He then said that they looked around outside for her wristlet and keys. And this part of the statement is very confusing. You know, he talked about being at Brian's house, but, you know, they're kind of all going back and forth about where they are, who they're, you know, all that kind of stuff. Freddie said that they left Julia sitting in her vehicle outside of Brian's house. He said he then drove to his apartment to unlock his door for Jordan, then took the girls through the drive-thru at McDonald's before dropping them both off at Kristen's house. Okay. Now let's go to Katie. Katie Nelson gave a short written statement to the police. Her stories seemed to match the gist of Kristen and Freddie's stories. After being dropped off at Kristen's, Katie said that Kristen and Toby were talking on the phone and that Toby said that Julia had been in an accident. She said Toby wouldn't tell them what happened, that she just kept hanging up. Around 4.15 a.m., Katie said her ride came, which is her ex-boyfriend, Chris Latimer, who'd been at the bar earlier, and she spent the night with him. When she woke up in the morning, she heard that Julia had died. Chris Latimer had known Julia since ninth grade. He no longer lived in the area, but he and Julia kept in touch. He was at the nip and queue and said that he hung out with the three girls most of the time that he was there. He didn't recall any fighting or arguing between the girls. Chris said that Julia was pretty drunk, that she had on heels and seemed to be having a hard time. He said that she just kind of stood around, or he said he just kind of stood around with her so she wouldn't feel left out because he didn't think she was feeling very good. He said that she was falling all over the place. This is such a different statement from Kristen. Like, oh, she didn't seem really drunk. Like, she seemed fine. Well, and she said specifically she wasn't like falling down or stumbling. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Exactly. Chris confirmed that he picked Katie up from Kristen's house between 3.20 and 4 a.m. He said that he'd asked Katie why Jalea wasn't with them and that he thought Katie said something about Kristen and Jalea arguing. He added, I think maybe Kristen was like mad at Jalea for trying to talk to me. I think Kristen was mad at Jalea because I'm pretty sure Katie told me that Kristen was like, why are you talking to him? Like Katie is right here. You know, like this is inappropriate. What are you doing? But if they were friends, why would that be inappropriate? Well, I mean, exactly. I guess she's dancing on him, but still like they've known each other since ninth grade. It's not like they've never met. Right. It's not like this is some random person and she knows that it's Katie's ex-boyfriend and she's just like going to grind on him or something. I mean, this is not, that's not the case. I mean, this, and Chris, his whole statement of saying that she was very intoxicated, visibly intoxicated. Mm -hmm. I believe that. But like we said earlier, when you're that drunk, you're not thinking clearly. So, right. If everybody's drinking, that's tough because fighting, right? I mean, it's like you, you get bent out of shape over literally nothing. But mm-hmm. if they know that Jalea is that drunk, like, you know, why get in a fight about it? It's not that big of a deal. Like, let's just move on. Yeah, exactly. She's just, you know, she's drinking. This is probably not what would have happened had she not been drinking. Like, Right. Like, give her a pass. Yeah. It's fine. And this is also your ex-boyfriend. It's not your boyfriend. But she went home with him that night. Yeah. But still. I'm just saying, like, obviously, I mean... Ha- We've all been there. Yeah, I mean, and obviously she's still into him too, but like from Julia's point of view, it's like, I mean, it's your ex. So and my friend. To him. Yeah, and my friend, exactly. Yeah, for sure. 
Toby said that the last text message that Jalea responded to from her was at 9.50 p.m. that Friday night. She said that Jalea had called her at 3.28 a.m. on Saturday morning to ask if she and her friend could pick her up. Then she called back at 3.33 a.m. to make sure they were on their way. She said during one of the calls that she could hear Jalea asking Kristen for her keys, so Toby had the impression that they were either in Kristen's car or at her house. She said that Jalea was angry, saying how Kristen was a bad friend and how she was a bitch. Toby said that Jalea said that she was on the interstate, but she did not say if anybody was with her. She also couldn't hear anyone in the background. Phone records showed three calls being made from Jalea to Toby, one at 328, one at 333, and one at 336. Toby had all three of these calls in her phone as well, but only answered two. She said that there was no way she wouldn't have heard it ring, that it was right beside her. Oh, I hate that. That happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. My phone always, I'll look and be like, when did I miss a call? It's right here. Like, yeah. <laughs> how? If my phone's right there, but I'm on a different device, sometimes for some reason, like text messages and phone calls don't come through. And I don't know why. I'm like, hmm. I literally have three different devices that you could come through and you chose to go through none of them. Yeah, exactly. Like it just later is like, you missed a call, bitch. Yeah. But why? Things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. (laughs) Exactly. Toby said that she made contact with Kristen at 3.53 a.m. Toby and her friend had made it to Williamstown where they were going to meet Julia, but they couldn't find her. The last thing she remembered Kristen saying was something like, well, Jalea was mad because, and then Toby pulled up to the scene where her sister's body was. She said that she called Kristen again after seeing what happened on the highway. She said she was panicking and asking Kristen what happened to Jalea and told her what she thought she saw. Kristen kept asking what happened, and then Toby said she hung up on her. Those calls were at 4.07 and 4.09 a.m. Kristen texted Toby at 4.49 a.m. and asked what was going on. She texted Toby again at 10.06 a.m. and asked if she was awake and if everything was okay. She also had several missed calls from Kristen. During Toby's statement, her mother was present. They talked to the interviewers about several instances of Kristen being in verbal or physical fights with other girls at bars in the past. There didn't seem to be any indication that Jalea was in an altercation with anyone at the bar that night. So in addition to the calls that pol- to police about a possible human body in the road, the 911 call center received a phone call at 3.41 a.m. on Saturday morning. Not, Gerald, do you want to be the caller or 911? I'll be 911. Okay. What is your emergency? Yeah, I'm calling about a car that's broke down on 77 North. Okay, we're at on I-77. On the 181 or so, the lights are on. It's up against the guardrails. Something's going on there, but I can't, couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on over there. Can you give me a vehicle description? All I know is it's a car. He had his lights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail, so there's something going on over there, but I couldn't see anybody standing around. So, you know, the car or the people I couldn't see, but the lights on in the car, so something's going on over there. But he's saying he... Yeah. But he says he can't see anybody? He's up against the guardrail? I have no idea. That's confusing. Mm-hmm. Can I have your name, sir? Can I have your name? Click. Oh. Okay, well, this is what I imagine the 911 operator said after he hangs up. That son of a bitch hung up on me. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I'm taking some... Liberties? Yeah, I'm taking some liberties here, creative liberties, but I think it's appropriate. Yes, I do too. So yeah, that's the end of the recording, and... We don't know if they've ever discovered who made the call. But another call comes in at 3.48 a.m. So the caller says, I'm at the 181.6 mile marker northbound on 177. I cannot make a confirmation of this right now. I'm walking back. I think I just seen a human being lying dead on the highway, sir. I'm getting out of my vehicle and I'm walking back to where I seen the person. We drove by. The truck driver is referring to himself and his son who was riding with him. And you know how it's dark and you can't see, but I'm pretty sure it might've been a person. Gosh, I really don't want to walk back here. You know what I'm saying? The call taker tells the caller that he does not have to walk back towards the remains if he doesn't feel comfortable and that there are officers on the way. The caller continues towards the body. I'm getting closer to it. I'm hoping it's a deer, sir. 
In fact, here's some uh, other people. I don't know if you're getting more calls. Two other guys just stopped here down at the bottom of the hill. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. The call taker asked the caller if he wanted to check if the person was still alive or breathing. And the caller implies that the remains are scattered so he doesn't believe the injuries could be consistent with life. Oh the, can you imagine? The call taker tells him to turn around, not to look at it, because both of these men are sweet angels. And the call taker or the caller asks him to make sure the officers hurried and asked if he could start stopping traffic because he believed the scene might be a crime scene. Using flashlights, he and other motorists attempted to stop traffic, but the motorists were unfortunately all past the scene. The caller stayed on the phone with 911 telling him that his, this was a crime scene, and he was just about positive of that. He also told the call taker that the head was not attached to the body. Mm. At 3.42 a.m., another passing motorist called 911 to let them know that it looked like somebody may have hit a deer on northbound 177 just before 182. He said that there are a few trucks on the side trying to keep people away from the deer, but didn't see any officers out there yet. And that was at 352? 352. Mm-hmm. You said 342. Did I really? I, you really did. I totally said 352. Okay. I know. That's what I'm saying. It happens, man. It's like, uh, yeah. what is that called again? Aphasia? Yeah. Where your your mind thinks you're doing it right and your mouth is just like bah, 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 it's bah, like bah. on workaholics. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks he's singing. Yes. <laughs> or like giving a really good speech and he's just and he's like, like bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. There were so many things about Julia's death that did not make sense to the Davis family and to the community. Time was passing, but no charges had been pressed and no arrests had been made. There were lots of rumors throughout the community that Kristen and Freddie had been involved in Julia's death. There were just too many things that didn't seem to line up as a result of a simple car accident. <sighs> okay. I can't believe the audacity. I know. I Get ready. All your shit is about to go out the window right yes. now. To call it a car accident. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so the first thing that doesn't line up with it is the car itself. Julia's vehicle was found a quarter of a mile past where her body was found. The keys were still in the ignition. The car was running and still in gear. The doors were also locked. And this was odd because Julia's car didn't automatically lock. It had to be pressed from the inside to lock the doors. The location of Julia's car was not down a straightaway, but around two curves. It seemed like it would have been difficult for a car to maneuver around both curves without a driver steering. There was no blood found inside of Julia's car. The damage found to her vehicle was on the right front side or corner of her vehicle. There was moderate damage with a large scrape going down the right side of the vehicle. The damage does not appear to be obviously consistent with a vehicle accident at 70 miles per hour that caused the ejection of the driver at such and such catastrophic injuries. There was also spidering of the windshield on the passenger side. That's often indicative of someone striking their head or an object against the windshield hard. Do you know why it doesn't seem to be consistent with a vehicle accident? Um, why? Because it wasn't a fucking vehicle <laughs> accident. That's what it seems like to me. Okay, you guys, the clothing. So even if Julia's death had truly been the result of a car accident, the arrangement of her clothing was very odd. So if you take off your own clothes or if they're pulled off somehow during an accident or whatever, your top layer is going to come off first, then your shirt, and then the under layer, which would be her bra. But Julia's clothing was found neatly hung on a post on the guardrail. And it was stacked just the opposite. The bra is on the bottom, then the shirt, then the coat is on top, hanging there. That don't make no sense. No. The hood from her pea coat was found over the guardrail and down the hill into the brush with blood on it. And there's blood all over this coat, too. And all over the road and all over. I mean, Yes, it's, it's really bad. There was blood, tissue, and parts of Julia's body spread across the two lanes of the interstate and the breakdown lane beside the guardrail. There are several diagrams posted on the Justice for Julia Facebook page that show where everything was found. 
it's difficult to explain, but if you, you know, take a peek, you'll, you'll be able to piece it together there. Kim does not believe that the location of everything, including what appeared to be acceleration marks, match with the scenario of Jalea being in a car accident by herself. It's sad that she has to say that because that's what police want her to, you know what I mean? Yes. She has to say, I don't believe that that actually happened because they're like, no, this actually happened. It's just so sad to me. Her poor family. I know her poor family having to go through, you know, because her mom said, like, I've had to look through all of these very disturbing, like, crime scene photos because she has, you know, she's got a copy of the file. And she's like, if the police had done their job, I wouldn't have to be looking at this all the time. But now this is seared into my brain. I'll never forget it. Right. And that is not a job for a family to have to do. No. To put them through intense extra trauma. Yeah. And if you, the family believes, you know, that these friends had something to do with it. And if they're wrong about that, you know, because when you're, when it's somebody that you care about, you're very emotional about it and persistent, you know? I mean, like, Jalea's mom is like, I plan on living a really long time and I'm not going to let this go. Right. So get ready, you know? So, like, it's so important that the police do the investigations for obviously so many reasons, but one of them is their emotions aren't clouding their judgment because what if they are, you know, the family is following what they believe happened and there's reasons for that because obviously there's a lot of stuff that's really suspicious, suspicious, but in the event that they are wrong, you know, that goes, there's so many things that can come of that too, ruining other people's lives and, you know, them maybe getting into unsafe situations, trying to get information and stuff like that. It's like, you're doing this job to protect society, to protect the family, to protect people who are not involved in this crime, even if it seems suspicious. And, you know, like, just all these things. It's just so much better and safer for everyone if the police do their fucking job. Exactly. And the fact that you have to say that out loud. Exactly. In 2012, a Marietta woman named Ember Stafford came forward to police and stated that she had witnessed what happened on the night of Julia's death. She said that she'd met Julia at a bar earlier that evening and witnessed a confrontation between her two black males, and a white female in the parking lot of the bar. She said she then saw Davis pull out of the parking lot and the three others followed her in another vehicle. And then Stafford claimed that the two cars were engaged in horseplay on I-77 before the vehicle with the three inside forced Davis's vehicle off the road. And she then saw Julia get out of her vehicle. In June of 2012, Stafford agreed to a polygraph, which she failed miserably. During questioning afterwards, she admitted that she'd fabricated the entire incident. Why would you do that? That's so hateful. Yes. And she was sentenced to six months in jail and a $500 fine. Why do people, why? Just awful. Ugh. Okay. In March of 2013, the results of Julia's autopsy were released. And we're not really sure if they were released to the public at this time or also to the Davis family at this time as well. But they described her cause of death as, quote, multiple catastrophic injuries sustained as an unrestrained driver of a car that lost control and struck a guardrail on Interstate 77. Alcohol intoxication was also a factor. End quote. Her toxicology results were negative for illicit drugs, but her blood alcohol content was 0.19, which is more than twice the legal limit for driving. The Wood County Sheriff's Department ruled that Jalea's death was an accident. I am shaking my head, but okay. This is what the investigators determined happened to Jalea that night. Okay. Just prepare yourself for the (sighs) immense anger that's about to... Mm -hmm. You cannot control your your oh emotions. You can't control your body or what you're about to do. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, guys. Buckle up, buttercups. Yeah. While driving unrestrained and heavily intoxicated, Jalea, traveling at highway speed, struck the guardrail on her right passenger side, making an initial impact on the front right headlight. She was thrown across her vehicle and ejected from her right front passenger window. This was the only window that had been broken out at the exact same time that her airbag deployed. 
on her Facebook page, Kim detailed what she was told by police. And they said, quote, also at that exact moment, her passenger door window had shattered. Her body then took a slight right at that exact moment. She went out of the window of the door, hit two posts and flipped backwards (sighs) over her car. Okay. And Kim's like, yes, that's right. They want us to believe my daughter is a human boomerang. How would she? You can't even think of the question because it's so fucking ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? She flies out. She is not a bouncy ball. She's also no. not a boomerang. I don't know. So she hits, she hits two posts and then she somehow bounces off of that and goes back the other direction. I just flipped backwards over the top of her car. Mm-hmm. Like, do you hear yourself, police? Yeah. But get to the clothing. (sighs) This really got me. Regarding Dalia's clothing, Kim said, the shirt was badly damaged and the bra wasn't torn at the straps. It was tore all under one armpit. You wear a bra, then you know how thick that strap is and how difficult it would be to rip it off in that spot. Not to mention that all of this going on with her clothing still didn't slow her body down. She still, in their eyes, managed to flip backwards over their car or over her car. In doing all of this flipping, she managed to get blood on her license plate trunk and taillights. Going out of her car and over, wouldn't a 125-pound body have put dent somewhere on that car, on the door uh, or the roof of the car or hood, trunk, anywhere? There is no damage noted to the top of Julia's car, nor was there any blood on top. And police also said that there was no clothing fiber, hair, or blood noted on the glass remnants on the passenger's uh, front window. So in addition, there is no significant damage noted on the guardrail where police said that the vehicle had hit. Well, and they said that like coming out of the window, it pulled her clothes off her body. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no fibers, no nothing. Mm-mm. There's no ribs in the fabric that indicate like there's no glass in it or anything like that. And you can see a picture of the passenger seat of her car and there's little bits of glass in it. In the seat of it. In mm-hmm. the seat, but nothing else. And so they're saying that as she, as all this is happening, you know, that the glass pulls her clothes off of her body. It pulls her pea coat off, her shirt and her bra off. And then those things just so happen to land on the guardrail. That can happen if you are singing Spoonful of Sugar and snapping your fingers like Mary Poppins. Mm. Okay, so I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the only way that can happen, but it can happen. Okay, so my bad. My bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it is possible. Sure. Oh, okay. yeah. All right. I just, I, I am so fucking furious right now. Yeah, and you guys got to see the picture of her stuff, like the her clothes sitting there. There's no, <laughs> there's no way. Let's let's start here. There is no way that a if you flying out of a window will take all of your clothing off from your waist up, including your bra. That doesn't happen. Mm-mm. There's no way. There's yeah. There's just no way for that to even happen. Let alone it be tossed into the air willy nilly and land bra, then shirt, then mm-hmm. coat on the same post. Yeah, exactly. Very neatly. Mm-hmm. Police work like this, let people get away with murder. That's just what it is. Yes, 100%. So Kim recalled that investigator said that Delia had likely gotten distracted, which caused her to strike the guardrail. She says, quote, we're told that they believe the reason Delia wrecked was because she was looking for something because her dome light was on. Not true. They forget that when it when it was dark, when I drove up on the scene, they forget that it was dark when Toby got there. Toby remembers many things that night in very great detail. And I'm sure the police would say that Toby was very upset that night and things may be cloudy to her. They don't even need to begin to say something like that. Toby was very is a very calm and very observant young lady. That dumb light wasn't on. Mm. End quote. And Kim also said that she was extremely concerned about the fact that Evidence had been left at the scene. The hood of Jalea's coat that was covered in blood was still on the scene. A metal earring that Jalea had been wearing that night was found 18 feet prior to where her head first struck. 
Hmm. Kim said that a detective told her father that they photographed the earring, but left it on the scene. (laughs) Her father also said that the crash investigator on scene told him to not be surprised if her death was ruled an accident. Also, Jalea's favorite keychain was missing. It was a jewel-encrusted J that Toby had given her. Toby said that she never took it off her keychain. Never. Never, ever. And it was later found that Kristen actually had the keychain. Hmm. According to the Davises, she gave several reasons as to why she had Jalea's keychain. Yeah, like what she told some people that Jalea had given it to her as a gift that night. There's absolutely no way. Okay. Is Kristen spelled like with a silent J? <laughs> I think Kristen is spelled L I A R. Oh, mm-hmm. J. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the J is in there. Uh, yeah, it's implied. J L I A R. Mm hmm. The J is silent. The J is silent. Why would you take that, first of all? And if she did give it to you and your name is fucking Kristen, you'd be like, thanks, girl, but I don't have a J in my name. So, like, doesn't really go with me. Why don't you keep it? Because your name does start with a J. And it was a gift from your sister that is very important to you. Mm -hmm. First of all, Julia didn't give it to her. No. Why does she have this key ring? Right. This doesn't make any sense. Nope. The people who had been with Jalea that night were not investigated any further. You guys, they never searched their phones. They said that Kristen, Katie, and Freddie all had alibis. Between the second and third call from Jalea to Toby, there was surveillance video from a nearby McDonald's, which was six miles away. In the driver's seat, the video clearly shows Freddie. There also appear to be two other people in the vehicle, one in the passenger seat and one in the back seat. But you cannot tell in the video who they are. Mm-mm. The video was timestamped at 3.32 a.m. And the staff at McDonald's did say that it's possible that the video was off by a few minutes, which I think in all... CCTV footage kind of... Yeah, it's always like off by a few minutes for mm-hmm. whatever reason. It lags or something. Yeah. The staff working the drive through did not recall who else was in the vehicle. And I mean, of course not. It's like, it's 3.30 in the morning. There's probably a shit ton of people coming through McDonald's after they leave the bar or whatever. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he's not, whoever it was, wasn't thinking, oh, I need to pay attention to this. It's just, yeah, exactly. get him through. It's just another car, yeah. Here's your fucking... Sausage biscuit with cheese. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. I would be going for breakfast, but God, that breakfast is good. Can you get it all day, though? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they do that now. In June of 2018, a woman named Emily Nestor released a podcast series called Mile Marker 181. She appeared to be working closely with the Davis family in order to bring light to Julia's death and the likelihood of a police cover-up. She had reportedly told Kim that people had approached her about making a documentary about Julia's death. However, it was later found that this documentary was going to be centered around Nestor and her rise in the true crime community. Great. After Nestor posted an inappropriate and offensive post on her Facebook page, attaching a video from a peaceful demonstration about the investigation into Julia's death, Kim posted on her Facebook page that she was no longer with associated, uh, she was no longer associated with Nestor or the podcast. Nestor's post read, Julia Davis is not a martyr. Julia Davis is not an example of police misconduct or cover-up or brutality or literally anything except what happens when you drive intoxicated. That's the lesson, not cops protect their own. The lesson is, this is what will happen if you make the choice to drive a motor vehicle at a high rate of speed while highly intoxicated and you crash. It's not a police cover-up, it's physics. It's not there's something more sinister going on behind the scenes. It's that people sympathize with a grieving, crying mom to a fault. I sure did, and it won't even be the last time. Stop letting Kim Davis play you for an idiot. I did that grunt work for you. After this post was publicized and the information regarding Nestor's sudden change of opinion and intentions with the documentary, she has become widely discredited and in many true crime blogs is spoken of very negatively. What changed so much? In I don't her? know because it, there's a show called what was that show called? Uh, Still, Still a mystery. A mystery? Or... Yeah, and the episodes I guess cover like two cases. So Julia's case is only the first half of it. Emily was very like none of this makes sense. 
like the clothes wouldn't be that way. The blood, you know, like mm-hmm. these people are associated with the police department. That seems suspicious. Like she was very on the Davis family side. It just doesn't make any bit of sense because, yeah, she just did a complete about face. Yeah, she. There had to, obviously there was some kind of a personal yeah, situation falling out between there. her and Kim. Yeah. I cannot believe. Even if you feel, even if you believe this story, which is cockamamie bullshit, I don't know how you could. But even if you do, let's let's play that. Let's say you do. Why would you say the words that she said about Kim? Yeah. That is, no matter how you slice it, that's a grieving mother. And that should be off limits. Yeah. Let her play you for a fool. I don't even fucking think so. Well, I mean, you know, I don't personally know Kim, obviously. Like, we've not had any contact with her or anything. But the way that she, that I've heard her speak about this case is, I think how anybody would talk about it if they just didn't feel like things added up. Like, I don't think she's going around being like, you need to give me $500 because my daughter was murdered and then going out buying Louis Vuitton bags or some shit with it. You know, like, I don't see how she's playing anybody for a fool. She's just saying, this is what I feel happened. Well, and with the facts that we have, it doesn't add up to me either. I don't like the way it was said. It seems very personal. It seems like a personal attack yes, on him. Yes, 100%. And I, that's that I don't agree with that. I can't believe after putting out a whole series on this case and the poor police work, you know, like that's the stance that she was taking at the time. Yeah. Like that when she talked about doing a documentary, that it would have been all about her around her and her mm-hmm. quote rise to fame. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. That's exploitative. Yes, very much so. Just so you can make a documentary about how famous you are now? And I'm sorry, but I've never heard of her. I hadn't heard of her until I watched Still a Mystery. Yeah, me either. But like, yeah, before the, like, I mean, we're in the true crime world. We've never heard of her. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're that famous. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's just icky behavior. It really is. That's just that's just awful. The general consensus in the Marietta community is that Julia met with foul play that night. Though she was obviously very intoxicated, there are many things that indicate that a proper investigation into Julia's death was not performed and that she was not simply a drunk driver who crashed her vehicle. And they they also said that like they're like this is a single car accident. But if you look at her car, and you look at her injuries, she's got like, I mean, she's got a dent in her car and stuff. I mean, it's a, yeah, she's got a scrape down the side of it. But that impact decapitated her somehow. And if she was run over by semis after she was ejected from the car, I'm not trying to be gross, but, and I know, I know in accidents you can be decapitated. I've, one of Andrew's very good friends is a paramedic and he's he's responded to scenes where this has happened. Mm-hmm. But if she was run over by semis, which is what they kind of were alluding to, that like after she hit the, you know, the pavement, that then she would have been run over by semis who didn't realize that there was a body in the road. Wouldn't that yeah, have like later something. Mm-hmm. crushed her, not just ripped her body apart? I don't know. Just their wheels are so big. Like it doesn't seem like it would decapitate. It seems like it would crush things to me. Yeah. But everything was just kind of pulled apart. I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. Many believe that Jalea was struck by her own vehicle that night. After being struck, her head hit a guardrail post, which ultimately killed her. The car continued to drag her body, striking her head on following guardrail post. And then the car stopped. The driver then accelerated at a high rate of speed with Jalea's body still attached to the car driving from the breakdown lane by the guardrail to a passing lane where her body was left. From the first post that her head struck to the point where her body was ultimately found was more than 82 feet. And this is just one of many theories. Kim Davis still strongly advocates for her daughter on the Justice for Julia Facebook page. She believes that her daughter was murdered and that those responsible for her death are being protected by the authorities. 
please go to the Facebook page and read through all of Kim's photos and information. And if you have any further information regarding the death of Jalea Davis, please contact her mother, Kim, through the Facebook page. This is such a sad one. It is. And I know that the police were like, look, you know, they're they're really sticking to their guns and they're just like, you know, there's nothing that indicates anybody killed her. You know, we don't have any proof. There's no proof that we found that her friends that were with her that night had anything to do with it. And it's like, okay, but you didn't even take their phones. So what if there were text messages later that were like, we need to get our story straight or, you know, or, or maybe there's nothing on their phones. And then we could have been like, okay, they had nothing to do with it. Right. But I think that it goes back to that classic case of one, well, let's have one person investigate it. Like it's a homicide and let's have one person be like, what if it's an accident? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least try for sure. I'm not saying that, that they're wrong or right. I don't know, but there's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up here. And I think taking a closer look would have been very beneficial because now look how much time we've lost. Yeah, exactly. If there were text messages, they're not there anymore. No. No. Yeah, we're 10 years out now. Yeah, I mean, it's so unfortunate. And hopefully, if, if she was met with foul play and somebody did it, if, hopefully their consciences are so heavy that they have to say something about, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what one of the police officers or maybe the sheriff did say. He was like, you know, the only thing that we can hope for is that if somebody did this, that they will come clean at some point. They'll slip up and say it to somebody. Right. But like for him, he's just like, we don't have enough to justify reopening the case. There's just not enough there. But if somebody was like, oh, hey, this person told me that they did something to her that night that's enough. That's fucking hearsay. Like, how do you not have all of these? Like, you guys literally went through and said that her car flipped or that her body flipped over her car. Like, isn't that enough to just look into? Like, this doesn't seem like it's even possible. Well, yeah. And let's just say that we use that kind of thinking for every, every case ever. We don't really have enough here, but we'll just have to wait till somebody, somebody speaks up. Mm -hmm nothing would get solved. Yeah, exactly. I just can't believe it. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Makes me really sad. Yeah. So let us know what you guys think. I mean, yes. And of course, if you have any information, let someone know. Yeah. I'm not an expert car accident recreation specialist. I know that like lots of crazy shit can happen in car accidents. So I'm, you know, not saying that you're a know-it-all. Yeah, some you, of these things couldn't yeah. happen. It just seems like when you put together the clothes, her body, the state of the car, like just all those things together just seem like they didn't create what happened. Absolutely. And the fact that there's blood all over the back of the car, mm-hmm. but she was didn't come in contact with the back of right. the car. Right. And there's nothing on the top of the car, even though she mm-hmm. supposedly went directly over the... Okay. Yeah. I just can't believe sometimes that there are certain things that you are expected to just take as fact Mm. and you're supposed to believe it and you're supposed to say, okay, that makes sense to me because I can't. Yeah. It don't make no sense. Mm -mm. Not even a little bit. Nope, nope, nope. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening and we hope that you have a blessed day. And hopefully we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we go, we have some shout outs for our newest patrons. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> what? Whoa, I'm whoa, excited. Whoa. <laughs> it's just <laughs> funny hearing your, uh, your, anyway. Okay. Hey girl. Thanks to Taylor Kronz, Shauna Noonan, Madison, Lucy O'Connor, Samantha Oliveira, sorry, Taylor Gonzalez, Paige Juritzma, Lexi Lee, Kelly Caitlin, Rachel McCown, Amanda S, Teresa Carissitz, JC Davis, Savannah Gonzalez, Hannah Gallagher, Taylor Henderman, Tamara Russell, Kylie Click, Brittany Jansen, Amanda Oliver, Krista Rayner, 
Louise Pemberton, Emma Jackson, Savannah Orr. Um, this one just says crafty as a witch. Super cute. Ooh. Tony Smith Chenault, Angela Edwards, Zoe, Jess White, Alicia Foster, and Stephanie Heft. Yes. yes. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Yes, we could not do this without you. Thank you so much for making this our job. We love you. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 